Hello, folks, and welcome back to our podcast, Refining Religion. My name is Cameron, and I am the host of this podcast. Hey, before we move on to today's message, I wanted to say a quick message here. Uh, you know, I'm very aware that sometimes the language that I or sometimes my guests use to, ex- uh, you know, to describe any experiences of the divine or the sacred can be limiting or confining. You know, our goal for this podcast And, you know, I think for ourselves personally, as we mature, is to always expand our understanding of who God is and what God is doing in the world. So if if mine or someone else's language has gotten in the way of that, that isn't our goal or intent. Our goal is just to stretch our awareness. So from here out, we will, uh, you know, do our best to uh, refer to God uh, just as that, as God. We won't assign uh, any values and with that out of the way, I hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, okay, well, welcome back to the eighth podcast of Refining Religion. Uh, like always, my name is Cameron. This week, Verlin is with me again. Uh, hey, Verlin. Hey, how you doing, Cameron? Good, good. How about you? I'm great. Enjoying the pandemic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah there you go. All right, well, what's on the docket for this week? Well, Cameron, we've had some good feedback about what we've talked about before. And one of the things that came out of that was that people were um, talking, I think, about grief in general, but maybe a little more subtle aspect of grief, something that's known as ambiguous loss. Um, And ambiguous loss can be hard to define, but it has to do with all the experiences in our life that... uh, have an aspect of grief about them. And so it can be as as simple as losing your favorite ink pen to um, having your kids leave home for school or having uh, lost your job, um, having your car break down to the point that you have to replace it, uh, choosing to move, all of those decisions in life, all those experiences in life that uh, can even have a very positive side to them, also have this grief aspect to it. There's a piece of loss that happens. And I don't think we're very good, Cameron, at naming that or recognizing that. I just think we we know we have it and we probably <laughs> like store those feelings somewhere in our body. And then when a big event comes along, uh, we can sometimes be surprised by our own grief reaction and my contention is that because we don't uh, set enough time aside to, to grieve the little losses, they accumulate. Um, that's kind of a, a big explanation for something that's kind of vague. Yeah. Uh, and yet I feel like uh, it, it falls on the heels of what we've been talking about with larger grief. Um, I don't want to just stay focused there. I think we have to acknowledge there's, there's grief happening to us daily. Yeah. One thing, so from what you just said, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's a metaphor, like a nuclear bomb, right? Starts small and then it grows into a big mushroom cloud of grief and loss of every decision. But how healthy is it to acknowledge and process all that grief? Because we are experiencing grief on a daily level, but you know, that just seems like a very slippery slope to, to have a very pessimistic view of, my life is full of grief and there is something wrong with that. You know, there's like a judgmental factor that comes along with that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, 
I think I would also say that just as there are lots of grief things, there are lots of wonderful love things that we have to celebrate as well. And, um, and so it's it's not so much that you stay stuck in the grief. Like I think the only way to get through grief, is you can't go around it. You can't go underneath it. You have to go through it. And so uh, setting aside a little time every day to just acknowledge, uh, boy, uh, all the good stuff that happened today. And there were a couple of things that, that had me uh, nostalgic or sad for a few moments. I think you have to acknowledge that. I think we, we tend to shut those feelings off and say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to keep a positive mindset. Well, to me, that's a denial of grief sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. So I don't, uh, I don't see spending time there as a bad thing. Now, like anything, if, you, if you're stuck there, uh, that might be a time to reach out to a friend, might be a time to talk to a counselor. Um, but for most of us, we have the coping skills we need is just setting aside the time to do it, to give it the time it deserves. Yeah, so what coping skills, uh, what does that look like? Um, well, you know, it's going to be different for everyone, but I think here again, um, I learned a long time ago, the power of writing stuff, um, with your hand, not just typing it, but handwritten notes. If you sat down today and said, what are, what are the things that I have lost in the last week, um, or last month or last year, you might be surprised. Uh, One of the things that many of us have lost is the company of our colleagues at work. Uh, I grieve that uh, the staff at Peace Church is a hoot to be around and we can have some fun exchanges online, but being in each other's presence every week was uh, life-giving to me. And now we don't have that. So uh, just to acknowledge that I miss that, uh, it's an obvious one is uh, corporate worship. The fact that we're not gathering together every Sunday, yeah. that's a loss that we're all grieving Um yeah, um, I think I've shared this with you. Uh, I lost my wedding ring a couple of years ago. And it comes up every day. I put my, I'm wearing my dad's wedding ring now. Every time I put it on, I think about that. So I give it that uh, couple seconds of acknowledgement and say, well, you know, that I, I hate that I lost it. And I'm glad I had my dad's ring. You know, I'm not dwelling on it, but I, I have to acknowledge the loss that I experienced. So uh, writing it down, saying it out loud, sharing it with each other once in a while. I think um, part of my uh, work in my life has been around songs of lament that we find in the book of Psalms. Um, and there are all kinds of laments and the, the, the Israelites were good at lamenting together. And one of my fears is that we as a society have kind of lost, lost the art of lamenting together. Um, so Neil Diamond sings a uh, song sung blue. And I think there's something about singing out the blues that helps us to feel better. So, and, and, you know, writing it, saying it, singing it, um, sometimes even just taking a walk and, and thinking about it for a little bit um, can, can clear your brain of some of that stuff. You know, it is interesting. There's like this kind of, false dichotomy where as children we are taught that if you're scared of uh, the monster under the bed the best thing for you to do is to shine a light under it and see that there's nothing there but as adults we run from recognition of grief or loss or pain yeah yeah 
Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, which kind of goes off of last week's subject with my dad was um, the loss when it comes to expectations. I've, you know, I've had loss in my life. The biggest being, uh, you know, before I worked at peace, I was a dolphin trainer, a sea lion and otter trainer, a tiger keeper, a primate keeper. And I thought that I was in the animal world for the rest of my life. I thought, you know, since I was just a kid, I thought that was going to be my lifetime career. And when you're, you know, that, that expectation, I think I expected so much out of it. And when I didn't get that, uh, I felt that there was a hole and thus left the industry entirely. And I lost a big piece of my personality and myself that was rooted in that uh, experience and that culture. So, you know, okay, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think what you're talking about from my perspective is that you um, losing a piece of our identity is what you're saying. Um, Uh, and that sometimes choices we make <clears throat> that are even for the better, maybe for our future, cost us a huge price. You know, when you're hanging around with kids at Peace Church, uh, it's not like uh, taming a tiger or hanging out with the dolphins. You know, it's it's uh, fun and, and energizing, but it's just not the same. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, just being different can then trigger that grief response. Yeah, the kids don't bite. Uh, nearly <laughs> some do. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. You know, Cameron, that's uh, and, and I appreciate you sharing that. That that sends me to a couple of other things I was thinking about with ambiguous loss. Uh, some of the things that we don't talk about, uh, but um, with the, the rise of things like mental health issues and Alzheimer's, um, we have seen uh, people, I think, suffer and grieve silently with people that they love still present, but not the same person that they used to be. And that's a really hard one to talk about, especially uh, when, when mental health issues come along or loss of personality. It's like, who are you? I wish you were who you used to be, but you're not. And uh, so all of that, uh, like you're talking about with you're no longer a dolphin trainer, it triggers this grief response and you have to go through all those stages um, that we've talked about before. We, there's sometimes just shocks you that you're not doing that anymore. Or you, you get angry that you're not there. Um, you deny it, you know, you bargain and argue. Um, all of those things get triggered by these uh, less dramatic losses, although those are fairly dramatic, but, but they're less dramatic than having someone die. Yeah, I will say that that whole loss of, you're very spot on when you said I lost part of my identity. The loss of that did take me down a dark road of mental health. And I'm not by any means embarrassed to say that I immediately sought counseling. I immediately got on antidepressants and I actually ended up seeing a life coach, which was awesome because it was very formative, not just from the counseling side, but from the entire, uh, you know, my entire life. I also moved to Minnesota in the middle of February. Oops. (laughs) So I went from sun 24 seven to not seeing the sun at all. I think that's a big thing. Something earlier you said was, you know, in all of our choices, we have gains and losses and, you know, it's great to focus on the gains, but to acknowledge the losses. Something that I'm kind of curious about is pros and con lists are my thing. They are my jam. 
if I'm making a big decision, I like to write pros and cons. But now I'm thinking about what does a gain and loss list look like? But I think nine times out of 10, the losses are probably going to be more, uh, you know, like maybe like smaller superficial things. And like, you know, what if the game is a huge, you know, life altering change, but it, it's so far outweighed by the loss. Is yeah. that, how would you go about, uh, you know, using that as a tool? That's a hard one. For me, I, I jumped to immediately choices we've made in my career to move from one church or one physical setting to another for a different kind of ministry setting. Um, while the choice seemed logically and spiritually correct, the amount of loss that we experienced each time, I mean, people that we had grown to love and people who supported us and cared for us, uh, to move like here to Minnesota made so much sense on so many levels, uh, particularly thinking about our kids' future and the career position for me and being closer to our family. But the, uh, the situation that we left was just uh, such a wonderful, wonderful small town, uh, open church. Uh, we had just a lovely, lovely time there. It was so hard to say goodbye to that place. I remember waking up the morning I was going to announce my decision and just just being racked in like physical pain over the amount of loss we're going to have. And I, I don't I don't know how you you know you have to learn to live with those decisions. Um, and I think you can't even though you make the list. And it might point to it being the right thing. Doesn't mean you have to feel like it's the right thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a reality that another thing that we don't often talk about is that um, you can have more than one feeling about something and you can have to hold them in tension sometimes. Uh, and that can be uncomfortable, but, but it's also very real. It's part of the mystery of being human. You can feel, uh, glad and sad at the same time. I've been with people who have suffered so long that their death, though painful, was a wonderful relief. Um, I've been with people who are grieving, who are crying and laughing at the same time. Uh, big decisions or even small decisions can leave us with a lot of mixed emotions. Which uh, makes me think too, Cameron, about something that I think we're going to share on the website, the, the feeling wheel. One of the things I learned um, as I've gotten older is that I had a very poor vocabulary for what it is that I feel. And uh, I was helped greatly by this uh, wheel that we'll publish called the feeling wheel. And it just helped me articulate some of the feelings that I had. It's one thing to say I'm sad. But it's another to say I'm melancholy or blue or dispirited or confused. And all of those words and many, many more fit in the category of sadness. And uh, having, having uh, the uh, opportunity to explore those words, either by myself or with somebody else, helped me to work through them more quickly and to move on to more positive thoughts. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's a very powerful, it would be a good tool to put in front of a journal, if someone journaled, just, yeah. just as a daily reminder that 
also, I think that there is so much self judgment put on these words, you know, happiness and sad have two different connotations, even though they're just emotions that we can't help. But then you look at breaking it down of, you know, instead of happy or energetic or fascinating, I see that sexy is under joyful. (laughs) That's me. Right. (laughs) Me too. That's always the first one I pick for myself. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, see, now if people weren't going to look at it, they will now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, what a cool what a cool thing. Um, what do you think, this is going to be a very difficult question to answer, and I know it's going to be different from person to person. What do you think uh, is the most compounded loss that we don't grieve on a like a, a daily basis? Because right now, instead of grieving – people are, you know, complaining and they're taking up and they're protesting. And I totally respect that. Right. But it just seems displaced, you know, grief. You know, uh, is it, you know, in today's world of the pandemic, is it the restrictions that are placed against us? Is it fear of, um, you know, catching the virus? Is it, losing a loved one? Um, I, I, I kind of think in terms of general and, and specific with that question, uh, my response to the general one is the greatest thing is aging. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> the Every day I'm reminded of things that I can no longer do that I used to be able to do. Um, and even, um, you know, you go back to high school and you re- when graduation comes along, you realize that this group of friends uh, may not be a part of your life anymore. Um, I think it starts earlier than that. It's much earlier. When you go to kindergarten, you're no longer able to go be with mom and dad as much as you used to be. So I think uh, in a general thing, every step in our aging process introduces a new grief thing. It induces a lot of adventure and fun. I want to be sure to highlight that and say that. But uh, every day you live, you realize that there are things that have been lost and that are changing. Specifically with the pandemic and the fears and that are generated with all of that. Yeah, it's, um, there are many times that uh, my wife and I say, things aren't ever going to be the same again. And I think that's our acknowledgement that Life as we knew it, as we were comfortable with it, didn't require us to think so hard. Now we have to think about, wow, are we going to go to that store? Are we going to hug our grandkids? Uh, what, what are we going to do? And each one of those choices is filled with some, some grief stuff again. So it, to me, it's a big thing generally uh, of everyday living produces it. And then it's very specific uh, uh, pandemic stuff, job changes, uh, career choices. Um, it, it, yeah, it just compounds uh, all around us. And at what point, I know we talked about that we should acknowledge them. I think we are in a time where grief is happening more than what we're used to. Is there some method to acknowledging some of that and just holding off for some of it, because we're over, we're overstimulated and overwhelmed. Like, it's like the weirdest thing ever. I've been inside for a house for, you know, two months. I go to the grocery store and I feel like I ran a mile because I'm just so stimulated by everything that's coming. 
<laughs> I just, I already feel so worn out of the day to day that tackling all the grief I'm feeling feels a little overwhelming. Is that just because I'm not used to tackling that much? You know, should I work myself up to, to being comfortable with that? Yeah, I think we have to be graceful to ourselves and, and just acknowledge that we haven't been this conscious of our grief for a long time. And so part of it is just realizing that this has always been happening. We just haven't always been thinking about it. And so um, giving some grace to ourselves to say, wow, this is this is new territory for many of us. And to, to just uh, acknowledge that and, and be okay with it. And I think too, um, it's we do have to compartmentalize some of it. Some of it, like uh, I think about uh, family grief. Um, we kind of acknowledge it, but when we're together on Skype, it's when we can say, or when we're Zooming, you know, this is what really is hard and this is what I'm really missing. Um, so there are, there are times for that. I think around worship at church, uh, lots of people are watching the services online many of them at, in real time, because it gives us a sense of connecting. But I don't spend uh, every minute of every other day thinking about, well, we're not together at church. So there is compartmentalizing that has to happen uh, in order for us just to get through the day. Yeah, you know, one thing that comes to mind, we talk about mental health. <clears throat> I mentioned a, a near and dear friend of mine uh, a few podcasts ago that had recently ended his engagement. Yeah. And he has, you know, I love him to death. He has taken a very steep, um, you know, downhill slope. Yeah. And uh, I actually think that he's getting out of the hospital today. Hmm. But he focuses on the grief too much. And yeah. he has, you know, it's just let him consume his entire life to the point where he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't eating. Yeah. And it just got too overwhelming. You know, I think it's because he didn't allow any grief to be processed for almost two years. And around the same time that he decided to end his engagement is the same time he decided to process everything. Wow. So there is a method, you know, allowing these things to flow and giving them time and respect, you know, their emotions, right? Like you can't help the way you feel. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I love him and I, and I pray for him every day. And there's, if there's anything I can do for him, I will. But it, it is just very difficult to see a loved one go through that, knowing that you can't do anything. I think that's something that I'm grieving is that I am just sitting on, you know, I'm just a bystander watching this happen to him. And I can't yeah. do anything about it. Yeah. That's the sense of powerlessness is really a hard thing for us to deal with. Yeah. The truth of the matter is we still want to be God and fix things and help people. And we're pretty limited in our ability to do that. Right. <clears throat> there is one thing that, that um, triggered in my mind when you said some of this, Cameron, and I think it has to be used kind of judiciously, but um, it can be really, really helpful to say to people sometimes. So with your sadness today, um, and you can do this with yourself on a one to 10 scale, uh, 10 being um, feeling great and one being super sad, what number would you assign your sadness today? And then I would say to you after you gave me a number, and it really doesn't matter what number you say, what's it going to take to make that, let's say, a three into a four? 
And what I do with that question is that I'm inviting you to imagine something a little bit better than what you have going right now. And uh, we've said this before, but the, our imagination is the key to good mental health, I think. And so uh, triggering that for people, what's it going to take to raise that just one number uh, invites them to think better, more positive thoughts, hopefully. Um, yeah, this goes back to the whole monster on the bed thing. Yeah. Uh, the imagination is your greatest tool when you're a kid, but you're, you know, deemed weird or a hippie artist if you use it when you're an adult, right? And, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just one of those things. So. Yeah, yeah. And frankly, I um, some of the highest form of prayer for me, uh, we haven't talked too much about that, but one of the spiritual practices we have besides journaling, which I think is really healthy too, it, but prayer to me is about engaging imagination. It ultimately is talking about seeking the presence of a higher power in our life to help us deal with our day-to-day living. Um, if I think about the language of the New Testament, and the role of the Holy Spirit, if you will, the, is to be that that ever-present help in time of trouble. And so uh, what, what prayer does for me is, is mostly remind myself that I'm not alone. It mostly uh, reminds me that God is with me and that it mostly reminds me that this, uh, this will pass and that um, my hope and belief about a better tomorrow uh, sustains me through what I'm living with today. That's powerful. I like that last little <clears throat> snippet that you said. <clears throat> That's, uh, yeah, you know, it's key to imagine a better life. You know, visualization is important. Well, I mean, uh, remember the old advertisement, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, it it's, it's true to an extent. And so... Um, I think if you're struggling with with sadness, overwhelming feelings of sadness, to start imagining uh, what what's the first thing you're going to do when you have freedom to go congregate again? Who's the first person you're going to hug? Um, what's the first song we're going to sing together and worship? All those things uh, put a can put a smile on your face and help you just get through the next day. Too too often we try we're we're stuck in this moment and uh, and i find a lot of people including myself we're either in in this moment right now or we're somewhere back in the past uh, regretting things that have happened feeling bad about people we've hurt uh you know wishing we'd made different choices and it, it warps time if you will we either we live in the past way too much and so um, I think there has to come an invitation, especially in a time like this, to also imagine a better future, a better tomorrow. Yeah. I do think that I agree with you. I 100% live in the past. It is awful and I hate it. And I try. That's why meditation is so big for me. First thing in the morning, it's that I'm here and I'm centered. And there are times where I have to do it throughout the day to do that. I don't, you know, part of me thinks that being raised in current society has reinforce the idea of living in the past you know on facebook you get here's what you posted three years ago <laughs> you know you, yeah. these little silly things like you know say you know it's no stretch of the imagination to say that i got more out of 
my everyday life when I was interacting with some of the most powerful animals of all time. And to see that on a daily basis of what it used to be like is was not healthy for me. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That yeah, makes I had to focus more on getting out of what I, you know, getting out of today what I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our memories help define us and explain us, but they also can confine us. Uh, they keep us stuck back there in the past, just like you're describing. And we almost feel guilty if we look to the future. It's like we're denying part of ourselves. But I think our memories are more like a foundation or more like the roots of a tree. Uh, we have to keep growing up and out, uh, even celebrating the root system we have in our past experiences, but not being bound by them. I love it. All right. Is there anything else on this topic you want to talk about? I think uh, I just want to say with a beautiful day, like we are having in Minnesota, finally, uh, getting outside, taking a walk, just sitting in a chair out in the lawn, you know, do yep. it. It feels good. Yep. Yeah, I 100% agree. Drink some sweet tea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Merlin. Well, it's great talking to you. And we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Sounds good, Cameron. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know that I enjoyed talking about uh, the losses and the gains that take place in life. As always, anything mentioned uh, in this podcast would be available in the podcast notes found on anchor.com. If you have anything that you'd like to add or any suggestions for a topic, please do not hesitate to email me, Cameron at peace-egan.org. And as always, I hope that you have a great week. Stay safe. and We will talk to you next week.